This edition of the Doors Open Minneapolis podcast is made possible with the support of the Comcast Corporation, a technology and communications entertainment company that connects residents, businesses, and the community to what's most important. Comcast provides gigabit speeds to all Twin Cities residents and businesses and improves access to technology through its low-cost broadband program, Internet Essentials. Learn more at TwinCities.Comcast.com. From Doors Open Minneapolis, this is the Doors Open Podcast, a conversation about buildings in Minneapolis that are architecturally, culturally, or socially significant. Doors Open Minneapolis is a weekend civic celebration, May 18 and 19. It provides the public with free behind the scenes access to more than 110 unique venues throughout Minneapolis. Now here's our host, novelist, advertising creative, and proud Minneapolis resident, Ann Bauer. Today, in honor of Doors Open, we're talking with Bridget Reynolds, Dean of Construction Sciences at Dunwoody College, Paul Murphy, a senior project manager at VAA, and Jeff Schrock, who is CEO at VAA. So hello and thank you for being here today. Good morning. It's great to be here. Thanks, Ann. I want to start by talking about the history that feeds into everything that all three of you do. And that's, you know, what happened here in Minneapolis with the riverfront, the milling, agriculture, and how it created this place, the buildings that we see, and the construction trades. Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, one of the things I found fascinating, I, I grew up in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, moved to Minneapolis in 1998, and uh, had the, the benefit of working on quite a few projects along the Minneapolis riverfront, learned a lot of history about the city. Uh, the Mill City Museum and such things like that, but also the Canal Park uh, right next to the Lock and Dam. And through that, uh, I quickly realized the history of the town being, in all likelihood, it wouldn't be the size it is without the accessibility to St. Anthony Falls and the accessibility to the wheat that grows out western Minnesota, of which got railed in and then got turned into flour, uh, all of which is a lot of the reasons that you see companies like General Mills today um, and, and as well as others, uh, all started on the banks of the river there and began to flower to, to mill flour. From that, of course, uh, spurred a whole bunch of needs from the engineering construction aspect as well as architecture for whether it be office spaces or building design and things like that. Uh, I think one of the things I've always found fascinating about Minneapolis uh, is uh, our, our connection to slip form concrete design. Uh, most people maybe don't even know what we're talking about, but that's a, a continuous uh it's a methodology in construction where it's actually it's a continuous pour of concrete where you build a structure. Most people recognize them as silos, for example, right? A lot of the a lot of the design and the some of the first slip form concrete designs actually happened here in Minneapolis. All of which tie to the ag industry, and then also a lot of the design and and drafting of these are taught. Uh, obviously, some of the principles are taught clearly at Dunwoody as well as even to this day still at our in our office. So Dunwoody was started in what year? 1914. And was it in response to this need that Jeff talked about? While it was started in response to a need, it was really um, 
the vision of uh, William Hood Dunwoody to make certain that uh, the Minneapolis area had uh, a, a way of training individuals who would become the doers. Uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul had a lot of liberal arts colleges, uh, but no institution that was providing training to make certain that we could support uh, those industries and those companies that were uh, really the uh, financial um, background uh, of driving the economy in Minneapolis at the time. I love that, the doers. And would you say today you have the same mission? Absolutely. Uh, all of the programs that Dunwoody offers today, while they're nowhere near uh, the programs that the school originally started with, with a few exceptions, uh, they've always been about uh, the hands-on aspect of making certain that uh, people who uh, wanted to come and learn uh, how to do something uh, had a direct applicable tie to be able to do that. So let's talk about what Dunwoody offers today. You have two-year degrees, you have four-year degrees. What's the, what's the main kind of flow of Dunwoody from, say, the student experience through into careers? So I wouldn't say there's really a flow. I would say that they're interconnected. Um, from the moment that a student comes to Dunwoody, our focus is on figuring out um, who that student is, uh, where they're gonna fit in the workforce, and what their pa uh, passion and interests really are. So from day one, it's about a career. Um, and as we work with the students uh, and get to know them over two years or over four years or five years, depending on their degree area, uh, most of our students will uh, end up taking on an internship um, during their time that they are going to school. Uh, it's, so, it's important to them that they get into that field immediately. It's, it's interesting to them. Um, and while there's other opportunities for them to work, uh, these are high-paying um, professional jobs that they can start immediately while they continue their education. And Paul, you had this experience, correct? Uh, very much so. I graduated from Dunwoody in 1986, fresh out of high school in 84, and started at Dun Dunwoody right afterwards. So one of the things that we're talking about as we, as we talk about workforce development and the need for more people to drive this engine here in Minneapolis, especially with this explosion of, of development and population growth, is that we need more people coming into the trades, more people coming in to be doers. And, and I'm wondering, you know, what drew you and what differences do you see in the generation today? Why is it so hard to make the argument that a four-year liberal arts college m maybe is not necessarily the route? Um, I, I think the big thing with Dunwoody and, and, and Bridget touched on it quite a bit is what they do is they prepare people for a career and, and what they're going to do as a career and, and how they need to act professionally and so forth. I mean, back in the day when I was at Dunwoody, uh, back in the 80s, we had time cards and, and everything else that we had to fill out, and there was only a certain number of days that we could miss or there was repercussions. And uh, um, Dunwoody had a reputation as far as um, not being the easiest school to get through. In fact, that was discussed 
Uh, back in the day, I remember some instructors coming up to us on their first day of school and indicating that only a certain percentage of us were going to make it through to graduation. And that's what they do, is they, they prepare people. The reputation in the industry for Dunwoody as far as how they prepare people uh, for the workplace, um, that really kind of ties into uh, what I do in the ag world and others, uh, companies such as some design-build contractors that are in the area that have really large ties to the ag industry, we would pull from Dunwoody because we knew of the reputation and the quality of individuals that Dunwoody would produce and prepare for the workforce. Is it still that way today, Bridget? Do you still prepare people um, kind of culturally and in terms of habit as well as for the career itself? Absolutely. Um, for, for day one, as I mentioned, it's all about the career. Um, we no longer do punching time cards, um, but what we do is um, maintain attendance. Uh, the students are required to come to classes, all of their classes. Um, and uh, as Paul mentioned, uh, the conversation um, earlier on with Dunwoody was about how many students would graduate. And today we look at it more of trying to serve the needs of industry because there aren't enough individuals to go around. So our conversation has turned to how do we help the student holistically to make sure that we have more students who are graduating uh, that can meet those needs. So it's not just about those who are able um, to show up every single day who might have everything in place, but really having the conversations about how do we help those who might not be able to show up every day um, and, and trying to get down and understand um, that entire student uh, because we really cannot uh, afford to lose one student uh, and not have them graduate. The, the industry needs uh, everyone to be able to join. And Jeff, you must feel that on a daily basis. I, I would completely agree with Bridget here. You know, I think uh, whether you're uh, designing silos or designing a building like what we're sitting in. I mean, you look at Minneapolis and Minnesota in general, of course, the economy has been pretty strong. You see a lot of tower cranes in the city, whether it be uh, to build an ag facility or a, uh, a warehouse or, or a downtown skyscraper. You know, the background work that it takes to design any such element of those types of buildings and facilities has a huge tie to what Bridget's uh, group does. And, you know, there's an enormous amount of design that's involved, uh, obviously now with the computer, but starting back when Paul started, even with the drafting board. But you know now it's it's three dimensions, and, and then you take this and you model it, and then you turn it into actually a set of drawings that you turn to a contractor, and then they build it. All of which happens before you even see one shovel turned. And I think the thing that we are noticing is uh, a lack of amount of you know kind of a, a, a less people going into that industry meaning uh, less people going into the design and, and, and drafting side of things, uh, that we see every every day. I mean, I can tell you that one of the hardest positions we have to fill is an entry-level technician to, to step in and, and start drawing what we're trying to design. Um, you know, one of the approaches we've had that's been successful is teaming with, like Bridget, at Dunwoody, and also we... We hire a lot of interns from Dunwoody, so while they're actually going to school, they're working at our office. They're working on actual projects, and I think that's been one of our most successful approaches because, A, we get to get to know them a little bit, but also they get some real-world experience mm -hmm. uh, and actually see what you would be physically doing. And whether you're working for an architectural firm or an engineering firm, it's going to be very similar. Uh, it may be a different type of structure, but it would be very similar as far as the practicality goes. 
So one of the things that we've talked about kind of behind the scenes is that everyone can kind of get their heads around design. They can look at something and say, do I like it, do I not? And it's kind of stylish to talk about architecture and who architected this beautiful building. But construction and engineering has until now, I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, been um, the unseen art. One of the things I feel Doors Open is doing is talking a lot about how buildings are arranged, how they're engineered, how they're meeting sustainability guidelines, how they are really um, exceeding people's expectations in the structure itself. And I think that that must be exciting for the three of you who work in this. Do you see that as well? Um, I, I do. In fact, I think uh, this the Doors Open um, program, I was pretty excited when I heard about it because I've always been fascinated with um, the buildings in Minneapolis, right? Whether they be old buildings or there might be a production facility or what have you, uh, you've got a unique opportunity to come and see them. And when you talk about how engineers and architects work together, architects a lot of times will kind of develop the division and some of these structures and, and lay it out and then it's up to the engineers to try to figure out how to make it work, right? Whether it be a structural engineer, mechanical, or electrical, uh, all of which all has to tie together so that the lights turn on, things like that operate, it goes together well, um, the windows work, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's all kind of boils down to some of the more basic items. And if you get to like an industrial facility, it's it's a whole different ballgame. You're, you're building a structure to, to house a process that makes something, whether it be a widget or, or flour or things like that, and all of which tie back. <clears throat> to the beauty of what we got going on in Minneapolis is the open door with the open door you can go and see these and learn because there'll be people there they'll be really excited to tell you about it and uh, I think it's a great program I'm excited for it I think one of the pieces that I hear often is oh I know Don what do I know where you are I drive by every day but I've never been inside so this gives uh, a really um, a preface to anybody who's driving by uh, that is interested in what is happening behind those brick walls uh, to stop in and see what is truly inside that facility. Um, when we talk about uh, design and construction, um, we can look at um, Dunwoody, which was constructed at the exact same time as our neighbor, the Basilica, um, and really look at the conversation about um, how much those two buildings cost, and yet, uh, and they were very similar in cost, uh, yet they serve two very different purposes um, with two very different outcomes. And really to, um, uh, to understand when we talk about the architecture, the intent of what Dunwoody was originally there for, which was to help um, the milling industries. Um, the design inside of the brickwork includes millstones. Um, there's an original millstone that sits on the uh, Dunwoody property. But really what happens inside those doors is so much more than just the history of where it started. And it's all brand new technologies and, um, and interesting uh, areas within the Institute that um, allow for brand new explorations of uh, what is happening within Minneapolis today. And I'm betting that people can do that kind of pair. You can go to the Basilica and go to Dunwoody and see those two from the inside out, which is really interesting. I wanna to get to a story you told me before we got on air this morning about going for a four-year degree and then going to Dunwoody and about that experience. Could you, could you talk about that? 
So I grew up in northern Minnesota, um, and my experiences were always um, the doing side of things, right? It was uh, chores in the morning um, and being able to play and uh, fix things. One of my favorite things that I remember was uh, my dad had come home one day um, with a go-kart, and we were super excited and we're like, we get to ride this go-kart. Well, my mother had a very different uh, response as in where are the helmets and what are we going to do? Um, but my dad's response was, well, it doesn't work. So as soon as you get it to work, you can play with it as much as you want. So from those experiences, it was truly, I have no idea how an engine functions. I have no idea what controls the speed. I have no idea how to make this thing go faster. Um, but those were the experiences that I had. And so from, uh, from a very young age, I knew that I wanted to be in architecture. And that's what I told myself was that I wanted to be in architecture. What I didn't know was that there was a very distinct line that was drawn between architecture and construction. And um, those who wanted to do the design and think about the intent of buildings and come up with uh, uh, the feeling that a building would give you was very much different from what I wanted, which was how is this building actually going to be constructed? What are the materials? Uh, what is the cost? How are we actually working through this? Um, and so after experiencing um, uh, a liberal arts degree in architecture, um, I found Dunwoody and within the first few weeks of classes knew that that's really where I wanted to be. Uh, I fit in, they were answering the questions, we were exploring how things were connected and how, um, uh, how much it was going to cost and how you counted these things. And, and that really fit the way that my brain thought. And so became this understanding that there were two different worlds, art, architecture and construction, but they really go hand in hand. And, and Paul, you're doing this every day. What is your, what is your art like? Because you know, you're actually creating things and how does it differ from that, that picture we have of someone just at a drafting board, you know, creating a spire? Um, you know, it's in the, again, most of my experience is in the agricultural world. And um, it's a little bit different between the architectural uh, and the engineering and the construction of it. Um, within the ag world, uh, it's individuals such as myself and mechanical engineers and structural engineers that are coming up with uh, process flow diagrams and what these agricultural facilities are going to do, what they're going to look like, how many bins there are, um, how are you getting from one place to another with belt conveyors, whether it's bucket elevators or so forth. Where the architectural part of it comes into it, we, we design things uh, from the standpoint of what is the need of this facility? How much grain do we need to move? How much feed do we need to make? And then we bring the architectural part into it to help us get through some of the issues as far as codes and egress and what we can do and we can't do. So in the industrial world, in the ag world, it's much more the opposite where uh, it's people like myself who only have a two-year Dunwoody degree that are coming up with these things and we're working with engineers and architects to make sure that it's meeting the codes and, and so forth. And I think only have a two-year Dunwoody degree is just not, it's not an only. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing more and more that the people who are needed are people who've spent two years really immersing themselves in actually being able 
to perform the craft. Right. So, and I, I can second that motion. I've spent uh, quite a bit of time. I'm a licensed degree engineer, <clears throat> um, but I've spent quite a bit of time trying to go to high schools and promote my industry, right? Promote engineering, promote what we do. And one thing I've noticed is uh, a lack of knowledge at the high school level about the opportunities that exist. So you could go get a four-year degree in architecture or engineering, but a lot of the kids that I've met with in the STEM programs didn't realize that you can go get a two-year degree. Literally did not know. Um, and and this is, these are all metro schools or, or within a 80-mile radius of here. And, and I think that's part of what I think our job in this industry is, is education, to let them know what their options are because um, – you know, after two years, you're out working. You're you're working on real projects day two, right? I mean, literally day two. And I think uh, if if you're that kind of person, like Bridget mentioned, boy, that it's a lot of fun. And and now it's it's uh you know it's it's three dimensional modeling and and it's uh, a whole different ball game than it was even a decade ago from how buildings and even industrial facilities get put together. So it it's a complex puzzle that you get to solve. Okay, before we go, I have one question, and I'm going to open this up because I assume that you have not had time to study the map of doors open this year, but whatever isn't open this year, I'm sure in 2020 will be, so tell me the building that you want to get inside in Minneapolis. Jeff? Sure. Uh, well, I'm going to go to Dunwoody, but I'm also going to go to the Pillsbury AML. Okay. I saw that that was open. Yes, it is. Bridget? I am interested in uh, a number of the buildings downtown that uh, are closed facilities, so I'm interested to see if they've made the list uh, to be open this year because a number of them are private and you can't get in to see. Um, but otherwise, I'm just really interested in uh, experiencing what uh, everyone has put together. Paul? Myself would also be the Pillsbury AML. I mean, coming from the ag industry and, and how that's been developed and, and turned into what it is today is something that would be very interesting to see. Okay. And I have to say, as we were talking, I was I was imagining myself walking along the Stone Arch Bridge, which I do all the time, mm -hmm. and reading those um, informational placards. And I wonder if maybe after this event, I will understand more of what's contained there, certainly after this conversation. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks Thank you. Thank you. Doors Open Minneapolis is a weekend civic celebration, May 18th and 19th. It provides the public with free behind-the-scenes access to more than 110 unique venues throughout Minneapolis. Join the Doors Open Minneapolis team. Volunteer greeters are needed for four-hour shifts at each participating venue. You will welcome and register visitors and be ambassadors for this great new civic program. To register, go to doorsopenminneapolis.org. Doors Open is presented by Comcast Corporation and supported by the American Institute of Architects Minneapolis. Today's Door Open podcast was produced by Scott Meyer, written and hosted by Ann Bauer. Pat Milan provided direction, and this episode was edited by Jonathan Dew. For information on how to explore the city, visit doorsopenminneapolis.org. This podcast was produced at the Toonheim Studios in Minneapolis.